0: When I was on a work trip by myself. And Becky, who's my wife now, my girlfriend at the time, um, knew about what was going on with me, got nervous when I didn't answer my phone in the morning, didn't know where I was staying. So she had actually Adam, who I mentioned before, break into my email, to find out where I was staying, called the hotel. They couldn't wake me up. So she told them to call EMS. And when they got there, I had asked for it.
1: Everyone, so excited to have Matt Searle with us today. He is based, we were just chatting before we hit record, uh, upstate New York in Westchester. He has a wife and two young kiddos. As well as a dog, and I understand that you like to go on an annual camping trip with this this pup and hopefully soon bring the kids along. Uh, Matt is 10 years sober, and we'll talk more about that as pertains to the company he's building today, which is super interesting. Previously, he founded an electronic health record company for behavioral health providers called Accupoint. He founded this his senior year of college and he sold it at the end of 2017. And these days, he's the co-founder and CEO of You Are Accountable. They help people sustain addiction recovery using technology, peer recovery coaching, and toxicology monitoring in an affordable way. It's born out of Matthew and his co-founder, AJ, who's a therapist, their personal experience getting sober. It has grown to reach thousands of folks who are recovering, self-funded, self-described as a lean, mean recovery sustaining machine, heck yeah. Uh, over a million dollars in revenues. We're so happy to have you. Welcome, Matt. Thanks
0: for having me. um The only correction I'll make is, <laughs> Westchester is definitely not upstate New York.
1: <laughs> oh um, yes, it's an hour and a half north.
0: Forty minutes north. But yeah, yeah, it's like forty minutes, forty-five minutes. Okay,
1: okay. depending on where in the okay. city you
0: are. But um no, no I say that jokingly just because uh, I also grew up on Long Island, which is uh-huh. kinda east of the city, and uh, it's just funny for. Uh, you yeah, know, upstate New York's like Buffalo.
1: Is there a, a more appropriate term for it? It's
0: Westchester. It's just suburb. It's just Westchester. But and I, okay. I was, I was So the,
1: the Northern Suburbs. Yeah. Northern
0: <laughs> suburbs. There you go. I like that. So um Okay. The so how do we end up here? So I grew up on Long Island, like I said. My wife, who I met in college, um, grew up in Westchester. And people in Westchester oh. generally think they're better than people from Long Island. Um, which like I, I don't disagree with. Um, I to uh-huh. say my wife. And one of my wedding vows was that we wouldn't move to Long Island, um, which was somewhat awkward because half of the room was from Long Island. But I mm-hmm. stuck to that vow, um, unlike having stuck to the vow of making the bed every morning. So I'm <laughs> batting 50%, but it's okay. We're a good team.
1: That's awesome. It's also nice to have family around with kids.
0: Sure. 100%. Yeah. Becky's uh, parents live in White Plains, which is like 10, 15 minutes away, and it's a huge help.
1: How often do you make it down to the city?
0: Um, So we have an office there, but I'd say like realistically, I probably make it down twice a month.
1: Okay. Okay. By train? You train or you you ride? Car ride? Yeah. Okay. Only drive. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, let's segue, Matt. Thanks for the correction again. (laughs) I shall not be making that mistake again. uh, Who is Matt today in your own words? I always want to ask to not assume. How would you like to describe yourself?
0: Um, I would describe myself as a recovering addict, um, a father, and also a partner to my wife, and then also somebody who just really likes to build things. Um,
1: Amazing. Yeah,
0: that's what I've learned throughout the past like 10 years that uh I'm most happy when I'm building something from zero just uh you know watching like a vision come alive
1: yeah and I want to dig more into that the building things I think it's a very common theme for entrepreneurs just feeling like not really themselves until unless they're building something I can resonate and I'm so curious what are some of these formative moments or experiences growing up you feel that shaped who you are today
0: yeah um so my, my like my dad, and I'm pretty sure my grandfather, actually on both sides, were entrepreneurs. So it's like kind of my gran- my grandfather's past before I was born, unfortunately, but um, yeah. my father is still around and, you know, he's always been an entrepreneur and doing his own thing. So that was just kind of the path that I was brought up with and seeing. Yeah. Um, and it, it's... I just never really saw like another option like I started like my first company when I was 14 doing like great fixed technology support that became AccuPoint in college and then now I'm doing UR Accountable and uh in the process I've had two like actual jobs and
1: mm-hmm. I like, hated them both.
0: I think it's actually three, like, three
1: what what were they tell me
0: so the first one was when I was like around 14 I worked like, at a rock climbing thing. Okay. Um, I love anything over Clover Rock Not but I haven't done that so much lately. Um, but I remember like part of the job was, which I'm not sure it was legal looking back now, but they wouldn't pay you until you had like worked a certain number of hours to like as training. And yeah. Not, like a quarter of the way through that. And just like, I'm done with this. That's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and then second Uh, job I had was an internship when I was in college, um, at a company called air products. So I went to college Lehigh air products is right there. And it was, it was cool. It was great. But, um, I had like, I worked on this project. It worked really well. And then I had a, went to a meeting. Um, maybe I shouldn't have named off the company and my like boss at the time basically took credit for all my work and i was like this is horrible <laughs> like it felt so bad um and you yeah, know that that those were my two experiences like early on working somewhere else and just knew that that's like not what made me happy
1: what was it about the rock climbing place that you didn't enjoy the second example that makes i i hear you on that
0: um i didn't feel like there was the opportunity to get, um, I think what it comes down to is a I'm, I'm not great at necessarily like taking instruction, um, uh-huh. which can be, I guess, good and bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I kind of like to figure things out, do it my own way. There was like no creativity there. I was there to like do a job and that was kind of the, yeah. um And the like, Um, input to like potential reward piece wasn't really there. Like I could do a mediocre job or I could do an awesome job. And like, generally it'll come out the same way, which just like didn't feel good to me or natural given like my,
1: yeah, sounds like you wanted to have that, like your, the impact that you're having, um, be outsized almost.
0: Sure. And actually like what I learned later on after selling AccuPoint and, um, working with the company that acquired us is I am actually far more anxious having a boss than just being <laughs> responsible for like an entity on my own. Um, I mean, what
1: is what is it about having a boss that drives up the anxiety for you? I, I, I think
0: it's just like the feeling of being judged, which seems so silly, cause like when you're, especially when you're bootstrapping a your company like I do, it's like like you, like whether you like get paid that month is dependent on how you're doing, especially when you're growing mm-hmm. something. And a a job, in theory, is like a lot safer and a lot lower risk. But for whatever reason, the external kind of eyes on um, really ratcheted up my anxiety. I'm
1: hearing and feel free to say, no, actually, this doesn't resonate. It's almost as if you like kind of playing your own game where you're building your company, like you're dealing with the market. The market needs to respond to whatever product you're delivering. Customers need to like it. There needs to be a need. But you can figure that out in your own way. Versus at a company, it's more structured. It's maybe a little bit more bureaucratic. The game is preset and needing to conform to playing by those rules might feel a little restrictive.
0: Yeah, I think it's that. And then also a lot of times with like a larger entity or a company, you're you're forecasting a plan. And then like, at least for me, if things don't go exactly to plan when the plan's like laid out and held Mm -hmm. accountable to it, uh, that's like a lot of pressure for me whereas like when i'm running my own startup i of course i have a budget and i plan but yeah i'm ultimately accountable to myself um yeah. so yeah. i there, there's probably a lot more therapy that i can do to i that's <laughs> generally how it how it feels when it comes out
1: yeah no I, I always think that topic is so interesting because it does feel like there are to overgeneralize. Obviously, the world is not this simple. Humans are not that simple. But it feels like there are folks who prefer having a job where they work for someone else and folks who prefer building their own thing from scratch and building something new. Uh, and it's, it's always interesting for me to see what what compels folks to prefer one or the other and what are the character traits. Uh, okay, so speak. thank you. So thanks for sharing and, and indulging me in that. Sure. Speaking of AccuPoint, and you started this... There was a different version of the company, but at 14 years old, which became AccuPoint. I'm curious to to learn a little bit more about that journey, especially because I'm pretty sure some of those lessons you ended up translating into you are accountable in what you're building today.
0: Sure. Yeah. So um, uh, the first company was called Pure Code Consulting, um, and I founded that with my high school friend, Adam Lusky, who I'm still close yeah. with. Um, and basically it was going to small businesses in the area where we grew up, setting up their networks, that type of thing, fixing issues when they had it. And how it transformed into AccuPoint is one of our clients base, in a different space than AccuPoint ended up selling into, basically asked us to build him an electronic health record platform to help him with his compliance needs mostly. Um, and I built that for him my senior year in college and then, uh, went back to him and said, why don't you like recoup some of your investment in paying this? And like, let's actually build this, you know, and sell it to other companies. Um, and at the time, so when I graduated college, I actually enrolled in law school at night.
1: Can I pause you, yeah. Matt? What compelled you to go back to this guy and tell him, hey, why do not you are you interested in recouping some of your investment and having us build this out for other companies?
0: Yeah. Um, because not
1: everyone would do that.
0: I think I knew that like with Pure Code, that was a future where I was going to continue to sell my time. Uh Um, And there's only so much that like I can scale. Um, So I knew that that wasn't going to be a long term play for me and selling an electronic health player platform is SaaS, you a lot more leverage. So that was kind of my thought around it. And I also, I went to law school at night because my parents wanted me to go to law school at night. Um, (laughs) And I also, news, again, that's another place where I'm selling my time. So this seemed as my like way out to make me happy and everybody else around me happy also. So it's kind of all those things coming together. Um, Mm -hmm. And as is pretty much always the case, like the, like what action you take at the time generally doesn't play out the way that you think it will in the future. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's just, uh, for me, like a reminder of like, just like always taking the next right action and like letting go of it.
1: It's almost like take the next step. You're going to discover so much more and your way of thinking will evolve and new opportunities are always available with each next step you take. Um, how did that go? And what are some of the lessons that you learned and took from that as an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, um, what lessons did I take? Um, I will say first and foremost that my partner for AcuPoint, Joe, it was like taught me so much, was amazing to work with. Mm. Um, in hindsight, um, I probably wouldn't have given up 50% of the company. Um,
1: who was Joe? So
0: Joe was the person. So he owns a home care company and also okay. basically a company that serves people with traumatic brain injury. It's like, it's an amazing company, amazing missions called, uh, RES, uh, home care and RES TBI services on Long island. And I built the platform for him. Um, and okay. he paid me for it then I went back. So he was to, your like, first kind of... customer
1: and then investor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we didn't take any investment. We bootstrapped it, but we signed on, he had a line of credit from his other business and I co-signed on it with the debt okay. in the business. Um, so, and given I was like the active member and he was more passive and so valuable, you maybe be yeah. like 50, 50 split wasn't the right split at the time, but it worked out wonderfully for everyone. So I can't really complain. Um, yeah. So it's a, that would be my, I guess, first learning. Um, and sorry, what, what was the entire question? Sorry about that.
1: I, w- I was just curious what you feel you learned from Accupoint that was then helped you to build your account. Sure,
0: yeah. So I would say Accupoint was a company that was like built by like really gut. I also wasn't healthy when I started building it, which is what led to it. Mm-hmm. Now, well, I had like a really bad opioid addiction, which, um,
1: mm-hmm, which right we'll get into um,
0: at least in the beginning. But um, one thing I've learned from, I guess, a few things I've learned from AcuPoint is one is that no matter what your plan is for starting a company, generally it'll like rhyme with what the company ends up doing, but won't be the same because the market will dictate like what the actual right solution is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other is that it's, you know, a lot of times when people talk about startups or investing, they show these pretty graphs with like, you know, you know, exponential up to the right curve. And the reality is that there are ups and downs, um, and like emotional fortitude and the ability and a lot of this like credit to like sobriety also. So like, say like, this doesn't feel good right now, but this will pass. And to keep pushing yeah. it is like the most important thing in being a founder of a company. Um, yeah, it's absolutely most people that say they want to start a company. What ends up happening is they give up too early um, before like the magic happens.
1: Yeah. Is it Sam Altman that says that people are not willing to invest the time that it takes to actually build a company Probably. and lots of reasons for that. I want to invite you to share with us your story, because I think this led to you building you accountable, just your story with addiction and your recovery process. onwards.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny. It's kind of like a chicken and the egg thing. It's like did I had this surgery because I really wanted opioids or did I need the yeah. surgery and then got opioids and like, kind of kept going the path from there. Interesting. Um, but high level um, I'll say that I, I tried opioids once in college and it okay. was the best thing I've ever done. Um went back to buy more from my friend and my friend refused to sell it to me cuz he knew me better than I knew myself and I that's was like, "All right, yeah, you're probably right." Um That's a good friend. Not not a good idea for me. Um and then basically after after college, like while I was in law school, I had a few cases where I had like tooth thing and got prescribed like it in, And then my ankle was hurting me and I had a surgery that didn't go well. Um, And I was actually in like a lot of pain for a year. And rather than kind of fault the doctor for this, rather than calling me in, the doctor's office just kept like literally through the mail sending me prescriptions of Vicodin, like I would get them in Mm the box and then go fill them. Did that for about Mm -hmm. a year. Then ended up having a second surgery where I got prescribed more and probably from December, 2012, when I had the second surgery to, I guess, October, 2013, when I overdosed, just had like, everything in my life just went to hell really quickly. Um, and for me, I knew that like, it was, it was becoming a problem when I started like taking the pain pills throughout the day. Um, Like I always had a, I was always like a work hard, party hard type person and prided myself on that. But like once that kind of barrier was broken, I knew like internally that like I was in real trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and but like where like the insight building comes, and this is so much of it like addiction treatment is. At first, I thought my problem was just like like pain pills, and I was like, I just need to get off these pills, and I tried. And don't need to get into the whole thing, but I tried like every which way to do it myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reality is that I couldn't stop that until I stopped everything. Um, And um, the overdose happened when I was on a work trip by myself. And Becky, who's my wife now, my girlfriend at the time, um, knew about what was going on with me. Got nervous when I didn't answer my phone in the morning didn't know where I was staying. So she had actually Adam, who I mentioned before, break into my email, to find out where I was staying, called the hotel. They couldn't wake me up, so she told them to call EMS. And when they got there, I had aspirated in my sleep, so I had thrown up and inhaled it. Um, okay. So I had two levels at 50%, and they said I would have been dead within 10 to 15 minutes and didn't know if I was gonna be brain damaged. Don't think I am. Wow. You, know, you can let me know what you think at the end of this. And, uh, went to treatment from after being in the ICU for a week, went to treatment from there. And I've been sober
1: since. Wow. I I feel like Becky's like your guardian angel. Oh my goodness. And what a gift to get to share your life with her too, to this day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. incredibly lucky. Um,
1: I'm curious, Matt, because we've seen this so much in the media these days. There's so many documentaries coming out on opioid addiction and just how can we handle this better as a community, healthcare system, just individuals who know other individuals. Uh, It sounds like there were a couple of points in your story where we can learn about intervening Uh, Sounds like the first point, these are just what I was hearing as you were describing, and let me know how you would revise what I share right now. I heard something about, okay, the first time that you actually tried opioids, and, and I'm wondering whether that's an intervention point, whether we can educate folks more on, hey, this is some of the impact implication and what you would do there. A second point was, Obviously, when you had your toothache uh, and you got prescribed and then after your first ankle surgery and you mentioned the doctors didn't call you in and they just sent you prescriptions for you to go get them. And obviously, that's just a clear point in which you could have been more closely monitored and maybe we could have explored other options. I'm not a medical professional, so I don't I don't want to veer into this territory. I don't know too much of what I'm talking about. And then also like with your girlfriend, the conversations after in between 2012 October and then when the overdose happened in 2013, what are your thoughts here on just lessons learned and how for anyone listening who knows someone going through this, how they can show up? How how can we show up for other folks?
0: Yeah, um, so I think a we've come a long way, um, like the stigma around addiction. At least I feel is a lot less. It's talked yeah. a lot more um
1: that and mental health it's thank goodness that yeah. we're evolving as a society in this totally like regard
0: all, all of that um so i think that's all great um i think also like opioid prescriptions are way down um uh-huh. i'm not a medical profession but i i get a little nervous about okay. the amphetamine prescriptions that are not seeming to happen down um and as far as Early, you know, earlier intervention, my understanding, I'm not a medical professional either. I'm just, I'm a sober guy, Um, is like education works, um, at least in certain cases. I know for me, when there was educational things earlier on, I wasn't, I wasn't in, I didn't have the insight to listen, like to truly hear it. Um, yeah. but I think with targeted messaging, especially seeing what's happening with like the opioid epidemic and all opioid epidemic and all the people like passing away today on um, like that's a big part. Um, as far as like, as a family member, if you're a family member of somebody that, you know, is struggling with addiction, which is you know, not, always, you don't always know, I was pretty good at hiding it. Um, there's, uh, a, a methodology called craft, um, that I definitely encourage you to look up and like how to help like build insight in the loved one that's struggling with addiction. Cause the reality is, is no matter how much, and this is in like our current, my current role today, if you are accountable, no matter how much I can see, um, like what's happening with the person, like nothing will change unless they see it for themselves. So really a lot of what we do is like helping build insight, continuing to build insight so people can take actions to support their own recovery. Um, so for me, that that's like the biggest thing you can do is be supportive, but not enabling, which is really, really. Important.
1: In terms of family members, specifically in your relationship with Becky, what made you comfortable sharing with her in 2013?
0: <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're assuming I was comfortable sharing with her and I wasn't, I hit it. Um, I got caught because she caught me texting my dealer. Um, and I tried mm. to convince her that it was normal that I texted a drug dealer or did my best to hide it. Uh, I think she she knew something was up. Um, I think if you asked her, she would say she attributed a lot of what was happening to a, like my ankle pain, which was like a real thing, but also b, like other stressors that I had, like in my life, plus Mm AccuPoint, um, like founding a company is stressful on its own. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it didn't come out really until she like caught me texting my dealer on like the way back from a trip with friends. Um, Mm -hmm. and at that point, you know, she got me to go to a psychiatrist who told me to stop drinking also and stop smoking weed, both things that I really like to do. And mm-hmm. he said, basically, that's crazy. And he was right, obviously, because I ended in an overdose. So um,
1: and so you didn't stop drinking and doing weed at that time?
0: No. Well, I, saw, I said I would stop smoking and then was drinking and I'd mix in other drugs that I normally wouldn't do. Um, because the, the drug wasn't the problem. It's like how I learned to cope, which was like the real issue. Um, plus the actual just like addiction, disease of addiction. Um, I had no coping skills to live life without So, yeah. And, and like from a like medical standpoint, like any substance triggers those same pathways. So like once I Took something, it made me yearn for what I really knew that I wanted, which was like I'd start smoking again, and then I'd be back with, you know, pain pills. Um, so that was kind of the cycle there. So, yeah, so I, I really didn't discuss any of this. Um, and I would say, like, where Becky, I mean, Becky shined throughout, but what was really big was like after I got back from treatment, um, because what you see a lot of times is people go to treatment for 30 days. They do great because they're separated from their environment. They're in their own little bubble. They like literally you're institutionalized. You can't leave. Right. And then they go back home to everything that, you know, their life, their stressors, like nobody goes into treatment winning. So like generally you come back to a mess that like you have to clean up over time and you don't have your best coping tool available anymore. Um, so like I always tell people that. My first year of recovery was the hardest year of my life. It would have been much easier to go back to use and kind of work through everything that I had to clean up for my addiction.
1: And what helped you get through that first year?
0: Um, A, Becky being like incredibly supportive. And I don't mean that as like she was sitting there every moment, like, how are you doing? Are you okay? It was... Uh-huh you do whatever you need to do for your recovery. I'm going to do what's good for me. Um, And like, no questions asked, like, do what you need to do. But like, if like you slip up again, like I'm gone. Um, And I knew she meant it. And also she really meant like, do whatever you need to do. Wasn't have a situation where she's like, I'm sad. You're not hanging out with me because you go to IOP three days a week and you're working and then you're going to meetings. Um, she really gave me the space to take charge of my own recovery. And, uh, it's funny at the time, I felt like it wasn't super supportive, but it was absolutely like the right thing to do.
1: Beautiful. Anything else?
0: Um, as far as, sorry, I
1: for folks who maybe know folks that are going through this, that can be learning from what was helpful for you in that first year, what else was helpful in getting you through it?
0: Yeah, um, well, I'd say for like family in general, the a lot of times it can feel like the person is doing this to you, like if they cared about you, why would they be doing this? And I think it's important to like frame that nobody in their right mind would want to be addicted to drugs. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the stuff that I put myself through to like get my fix, like wasn't fun. So like, it's truly like I was a sick person Um, and it's important to remember that like, even though like people on addiction don't, like it's nasty. Um, Like it's hard, it's hard on the family, it's hard on the individual, but it's not, they're not doing it to you. It's they're sick and they need help. Yeah. Um, For me, what really helped was, hey, Becky, giving me the space to work on my own recovery, Uh, mutual support groups work and still are immensely helpful, um, therapy, still in therapy, huge advocate. Um, and biggest thing was like, and where a lot of people get into trouble and there's part of where accountable comes into play is they do all this work that gets them feeling good. And then because they feel good, they stop doing the work that got them there in the first place. And the reality is, just like any other chronic disease, like diabetes. Once you get your like insulin levels under control, that doesn't mean you stop taking insulin and go eat a bunch of cake. You yeah. gotta keep maintaining your recovery.
1: Matt, I'm so appreciative to you for sharing the story. And again, I'm so grateful that the times are evolving and we are more open to having more of these honest conversations. I really do see you and it's, it's so impressive, the journey you've been on and all the work you've put in. And now you're helping thousands of others on their recovery journey. So speaking of which I want to talk about you are accountable. And so I know that you founded this with someone who you met during your recovery. Was is that right? With AJ and he's a therapist. And tell me more about how your accountable got started.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um we were actually both in group therapy together for three years for you know, it was a group of people in like long-term recovery, which was like over six months at that point. Um, and yeah, we spent three years in therapy together. I think it's the best way to meet a business partner. Yeah. (laughs) You
1: really get to know the person. And we
0: communicate very well. It's really that that's not an issue in uh, our founder relationship. Um, highly recommend it. The, uh, and he went back to school to become a clinician after he got sober. He actually worked in finance prior. Um, and, basically after I sold AccuPoint and decided to leave the group had ended like a few years prior. So I reached back out to him and was like, Hey, really want to do this. Um, you have the clinical expertise, um, like want to do this with me. Yeah. And he was like all in. So it's, uh, it's been amazing amazing from there. And just like, like I mentioned before, what accountable is today, isn't what we really envisioned it as in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, we really envisioned it as, or at least I envisioned it as like something where we would meet with somebody once a month, test them once a month. It would be super low cost. Um, yeah. I just kind of like a check-in type thing. I think like original pricing was $99 a month. And I think that was my inclination because I've been sober for so long. I forgot what it was like realistically. I think like, I knew what our target, you know, persona was. Yeah. I had lost touch with it a little bit because it had been a while. How
1: how many years post your OD did you start it?
0: Uh like coming up on ten years next month. So it was probably like seven and a half years.
1: Oh wow, post. And congrats coming up on ten years. Okay, but so like I know that right now I, I looked up your website. It looks super comprehensive. It sounds like y'all are doing two group sessions a week. You do is that right or no?
0: So, yeah, so basically our, our program is, you know, we kind of have three goals. We'll start there. So first yeah, of all yeah. is to support someone in recovery. Um, I, most of our clients are post-treatment, but we also work with like what you would call pre-contemplative, like maybe a family member thinks they have a problem, therapist might think the person has an issue, That's um, but the person's not quite sure they think they can control it. So they will work mm-hmm. with us. And if like they get under control, awesome. If not, they agree to go to a higher level of care. Um, so we also work in that respect and also in a harm reduction lens as well. But, um, most of our clients are post-treatment. Um, they sign up on our website and they can select either coaching one, two or three times a week, depending on the level of service they want. And also what other aftercare they have set up. So like Mm -hmm. if you're going to intensive outpatient, which is three days a week for three to four hours, like meeting with us more than once a week is too much. So, okay. we'll help tailor that based on where somebody's at. So, they'll have one to three coaching sessions a week. We can monitor um, alcohol using a Bluetooth breathalyzer. We use oral fluid drug tests for drug testing. So, that's the accountability part. Um, and then we also coordinate care. So, it's supporting recovery, coordinating Claire with outside providers, everybody on the same page. And then they invite their family to, so, helping rebuild trust in family systems are kind of the three prongs of how the program works.
1: I love that you integrate the family and just have them be more involved in the journey.
0: Sure, yeah, it's uh, it's really hard to get sober if everybody around you is questioning the work you're doing all the time. Um, so we act as kind of a buffer there to let family feel safe that everything's going well, but also if things, you know, somebody does slip up or has a return to use, we can advocate for the Uh, for a member and involve the family clinical in a positive way to make sure that person's getting on track or getting I
1: imagine too with even the language of helping like you were just clarifying hey if someone is addicted they're not doing this to you it's a struggle it's a battle internally already and they're sick and they need help and even just helping a family member or loved one or someone that's close a friend whatever just help them with the language of how do you communicate with this person who's feeling this way and shift your perspective from they're doing this to me to how do I help you? And yeah. it can be so valuable.
0: Well, and also, so every, everybody on our team's in recovery and
1: mm-hmm. it's, and can empathize.
0: And, well, yes, it can empathize, but also like for me, when I would go to a therapist or a doctor and they would tell me to do something, and this is how I took it. Other people might take it differently, but I felt like I was being, um, like talked down to, like this exactly. is what you should do as a sick individual. I can receive things much better when it's someone who is like, this is what you should do. And this is how I did it. And this is how it turned out for me. Um, mm-hmm. That's a much different conversation and gives a different balance and weight than straight, you know, clinical care does. Um, yeah. So that, that's where like the power of like the coaching part of accountable really comes into play. Um, yeah. You know, so much of like, addic- you say yeah, opposite of addictions connection. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's hard to build that in the beginning, especially when you're a lot of times in your addiction, that your way of like social, like to to be social is to lubricate that or numb it with substances. So it'll like start building real sober friendships and connections is difficult.
1: Amazing. I had a question on the. Online versus in-person coaching. So the U Accountable members, many of them are in post-treatment, and so also are seeing uh, clinicians or some sort of treatment facility in person, in combination with the group therapy that's online.
0: Yeah. So so we're we're pretty clear that we're we're not a replacement of treatment. We're an adjunctive service. or so an addition to. Okay. It. So generally, we won't work with someone unless they have, at the very least, a therapist. So they need a therapist mm-hmm. and an, at least one family contact on the portal. Um, or okay. somebody who could do a wellness check as an example, but also like if we're holding them accountable, like who are we, like we want to help yeah. them build trust in their family as
1: well. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: so, you know, with that, does their therapist need to be in person? No but they need to have some sort of clinical oversight on there.
1: And my question was going to be, what is your take on online interventions versus online and in person and how effective is just online alone? Sounds like you're doing a combo. So.
0: Yeah, I think, um, I think it depends where the person's at. Um, I've seen people get sober with just individual therapy, virtually and accountable, um, which is something that like, I know for me wouldn't have been possible. Um, so, you know, just like everything else in behavioral health and probably in life, uh, addiction exists on a spectrum. Um, so like for me, I needed to be institutionalized for 30 days. There was no other chance of me getting um, sober and finding recovery. Um, but for other people, that might not be what's necessary. Um, I think it's, that's why we have clinical oversight when we work with people, so they can help make those judgments for What's safe.
1: Very interesting. I want to shift gears a little bit as we're wrapping up and just broaden out past businesses that you've been building and just talk about your life in general today. And you mentioned at the start, you are a father, your husband, uh, you're an entrepreneur. And how are you designing your life these days, Matt?
0: Sure. Yeah. What is
1: important to you? What are you prioritizing in your life?
0: So. I'd say first and foremost, what I prioritize, and this is probably like not, um, not a popular thing to say, but like, I prioritize like my own self care first. Um, because if that I that is
1: a great thing to say from my perspective, yeah, as yeah. a
0: coach. Um, because I, I can't be of service to like anyone else if I'm not healthy. Um, yeah. Especially like, for, I think for anybody struggling with addiction, like, the cost of letting that slip is so much dire. It's like literally life or death for me. Um, yeah. So first thing is doing my best to take care of my own self-care. Um, so that's exercise, sleep, going to meetings, um, etc. cetera. Um,
1: How many hours of sleep are you getting?
0: So it's like, I got a whoop recently and it's really helped my sleep hygiene. Like I'm afraid to pick up my phone in the middle of the night. So I'd say I get like, I think, Last I looked at it, I was averaging eight hours a night. So I'm um, pretty good Amazing. on it. Um, sleep is important for me. I lose my mind if I don't sleep and if I don't work out. Um, mm-hmm. Do some sort of exercise five to six days a week.
1: Um, do you exercise in the morning, afternoon, evening? Morning. Um, if
0: I don't do it in the morning, generally it doesn't happen. So mm-hmm. like, try and do it first thing. Today my exercise was I took my dog on a hike because it's finally sunny out after four mm-hmm. days of rain yes. um, and work. Uh, and... So exercise in the morning. And then um, the other thing that I did with this company that was different in the past is I didn't want to travel anymore. Um, Before I I left Therapy Brands, I left in May, but uh, between January and March when COVID hit, I had traveled for three days a week, every single week that month with like, I guess like a six month old at home. And I was miserable. Um, so what I did here, which was probably a little earlier from like a lean perspective than like I would have normally, is I hired Jason, who's our head of business development partnerships, and he right. gratefully does all that traveling for me. Um, so I'm home And
1: on. I heard, I heard your sales three x after that too.
0: It did. It did. I uh, well, so that was so. It yeah, both times. So Point, I hired a salesperson way too late and saw my sales three x, and hired Jason again and our growth immediately picked up. So I've also learned, I think I'm a great salesperson, but maybe I'm not so great. I don't know. Um,
1: it's also about figuring out, okay, what is our sales process? And then you can hand it over to someone who can sure. then scale that. So
0: totally. So, but no, Jason's been a huge help and was like enabled me to, I'm home every day when my kids come home from school, um, there yeah. in the mornings, um, like all of that wouldn't have been possible if a, we were an office based company or B if I was still traveling all the time and like that's been one of like the huge benefits of covid. Um I would have also never built a remote company before covid. Um mm. I was pretty old school and I thought that everybody needed to be in the office to be productive. And um yeah. The team at accountable is just like it's like the most fun place I've ever worked. It's just awesome.
1: Yeah. Do you get to see each other in person once every I don't know quarter a month?
0: So I brought the whole team out to Utah in July and that was the first time we met nice. Wilson, and it was <laughs> it was so much fun. Um, Amazing. So we'll probably do that yearly.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating how much we've unlocked with COVID in terms of remote work and just the capabilities we've unlocked. I think there's still like you want to do some sort of combo. Some people like it still, but like you can unlock so much more. And then on the flexibility piece, that to me is one of the biggest gifts, just being able to be with your family and be more present as a dad, like to with these small moments as your kids are growing up and with your partner and be able to work with folks from all around the world. Yeah. What happened to into the talent?
0: Yeah. And I would say like on the flexibility things, I think this is like a, a, a misnomer a lot of times when people think about founding a new company that they'll have so much flexibility. Um, mm-hmm. The reality <laughs> is, I'm yeah, I'm super. Wait, people
1: think when you found a new company, you'll have flexibility
0: they don't want to have a boss, like, you know, all the you oh, when okay. you work, that type of thing. And the reality is, A, I'm just like, I'm very structured. Like I'm working nine to five at minimum every day. Like I just like yeah. that time. Um, but the reality is I tr- you trade like being able to like to having a nine to five to not picking when you work because like I'm always thinking about accountable mm-hmm. um, so I'm pretty much always working it's something that I, I try and be conscious of to like try and turn it off because that's also not healthy um, mm-hmm. but it's also like I love what we do and I'm excited about yeah. it and uh, so it's a lot of people you know say that like they like get Sunday scaries or dread the work week I am so excited to like wake up and do this every morning because um I've truly found like um one thing I've heard is the perfect like job or occupation is a mix between what you love, what you'll get paid for and what you're good at and uh like accountable is that for me. So it's just uh it's just a dream to work on every
1: day. What a gift. And what a fun note to end as well, Matt. So happy for you and a huge, tremendous impact you're having. Everyone, check out You Are Accountable. If you know someone that could use it, check out the craft method as well. Matt, this was lovely. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like what you hear, leave a review and share.